0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast, featuring Dream Accelerating Inspiration. I'm Jeff Meyer, your host, author, entrepreneur, and coach. My goal with this podcast is to help you identify and clarify your own dream by taking wisdom from others' successes and challenges. If you're looking to take action on your dream, to make a difference doing something you love but your fears are holding you back, then this podcast is for you. If you're interested in finding additional support, you can also check out my Dream Accelerator coaching program designed to help realize your full potential and reshape your future. As always, you can learn more about my Dream Accelerator program at jeffmeyer.org. Using my Dream Accelerating formula, heart-centered entrepreneurs can focus on their dream, name their fears, change their mindset, define their next, and move forward anyway. Welcome back, fellow dreamers. I'm so glad to be with you in another episode of my Move Forward Anyway podcast. And today, just ecstatic to be able to talk to two brothers that I consider brothers since I never had a brother growing up. I got two sisters. So uh, these two brothers are... uh, The Johnson brothers, I refer to them as Joe Bros, and so do many others. Eric and Derek, thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. You, of all the people I know, you two live out the Move Forward Anyway mantra, and I appreciate watching that and learning from it. Thank you for being here today. So let's get started Why don't you, uh, first of all, just kind of introduce yourselves and then Eric, I want to go right to you, right to the beginning of the spark of this dream, which became Aurora WDC this many years later. So why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us where you're from or anything else you want to tell us about.
1: Derek, you go first. Sure. Um, well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, we consider you a brother as well. The, uh, quick and dirty on me, uh father of four uh two boys 14 and three and a half two girls 10 and seven about to celebrate my 12th wedding anniversary with my beautiful wife allison allison i call her Allie. um are an e-harmony story so kind of a neat uh, story in and of itself happy I'm, anniversary uh, it's not until the 29th of may but it's coming up i better better get my game in gear um Live in the only Wanakee in the world, just uh, north of Madison. And, um, you know, just a, a guy who uh, also loves Jesus and uh, loves people. So I really appreciate the chance to get together with you guys today. Thank you, Thanks, Derek.
0: Derek. I appreciate it.
2: Well, I'm Derek's big brother, Eric. Uh, and I'm also a father of four and husband to Tina. And, uh, man, it's just been such a pleasure and privilege to uh, work with Derek over the last, what is it, 18 years now? 18 years and a couple of months. Um, But you were there the first day, uh, nonetheless, helping to put that wall up and uh, get us figured out in mom's beauty salon. And we can, you know, kind of start there. But um, I think of myself sort of first and foremost, really as a missionary, uh, and that my missionary work is lived out through my entrepreneurship and my curiosity around Um, there's no better way to say it, my curiosity about how losers become inevitable. And we can dig into that a little bit because that's the fascination with history that I have that really has driven the last, you know, probably 40 years of my life uh, in terms of how I, where I'm drawn to, I'm drawn to understanding at what point did a contender become a loser? And then let's reverse engineer all that so that we can figure out how not to have that happen to them. You know, what, what went wrong? And what, what did others do right that the loser could have learned from or done differently? So that's, uh, that's the spark. The spark is how can I study that and then uh, serve Jesus in the same time?
0: So you're um, the industry you're in, describe a little bit the industry you're in and how that relates to what you just said about discovering the frailties or the things that can lead to losing, a contender becoming a loser.
2: Yeah. So we're a field known as competitive intelligence, or if you want the full long version, strategic market and competitive intelligence. And that allows us to appeal to a few broader customers uh, that way. But uh, most of our clients over the last 26 years, I started the company on my, my 25th birthday in 1995. Uh, I do the math and it's now 2021 and I'm 51. And I kind of feel like I'm just getting started uh, doing this work um, 26 years later. And the uh, the competitive intelligence world has always traditionally been uh, driven by competitors and an obsession with competitors and how to sort of get a leg up. And that's wrong. It's, that's a broad misconception that um, I think most of those on our side of the fence would probably concur with. It's Competitors are important, but competitors are not your enemies. Competitors make you better. Competitors are an opportunity for you to elevate your own expectations of your performance so that you suck less. That's an unofficial motto of mine and occasionally, I thought about wearing that t-shirt on your podcast and I thought, eh, Tina would scold me if I wore the suck less t-shirt <laughs> uh, on the podcast. But, uh, but sucking less is a big part of not losing. And so when I discovered competitive intelligence, it was shortly after I did my first competitive intelligence assignment, which was for the California emu ranch Uh, Believe it or not, I was uh, at the time, uh, this is the mid-1990s, and I was just doing anything for a buck. Um, And so I was starting internet service providers and building websites for people and teaching at the tech college and, you know, anything for a buck, essentially. And so this was about maybe 18 months or two years into that journey. And I, I... stumbled upon, I don't even know how, uh, the California Emu Ranch, and they <laughs> hired me uh, to do a market sizing and five-year CAGR, it's called. CAGR is short for Compound Annual Growth Rate Forecast, which I didn't know what that was uh, in 1996. Or had, nothing
0: that to do, had nothing to do with beer.
2: No, uh, no, that's a whole other <laughs> story. But uh, five-year CAGR of Emu products in the mid-1990s, it turns out, The most lucrative market worldwide for them was Japan uh, for the meat of the emu. Uh, California emu ranch is long gone today, but they had 50,000 breeding pairs of emus in central California. Um, And so our parents were still living at the time. And I thought, I better learn about emus. So are there any emus in Wisconsin? And so I went and did my little research thing and I found every emu farm in Wisconsin. And we went to all of them. We visited every emu farm <laughs> in the state of Wisconsin. Mom came along uh, to the one that was outside of Chatech. They only had, uh, I think, one pair of emus there, and it tried to bite mom on the boob. Uh, it saw, like, the, the tassel of her drawstring from her hood. Emus <laughs> are driven to shiny objects, we discovered that day. It stuck <laughs> its head through the fence and it bit her right on the chest. And, oh. um, you know, it was so hysterical that... Uh, And I think I got paid $3,000 for that assignment that I spent hundreds of hours working on. I think I probably made about eight bucks an hour uh, at the end of the day uh, with that. And that's when I sort of knew, man, I need to get Derek involved uh, because he knows how to turn time into money in ways that I'll just never be good at. And so eight years later, uh, seven years later, Derek joined the company and the rest is history. Right around there.
0: So you, you were working with the emu farm at year one and then you did seven years more of work alone
2: and all in- over all over the place. My my kind of big breakthrough happened in ninety nine. Uh, I had written a piece, this was before blogs, and I decided I'd learned how to build websites for people and was doing doing that. Uh, And so I had built my own website that same year. And if you go to the Wayback Machine and and look at aurorawdc.com, there is a website there from, I think, about November of 1995. And man, is it ugly. Uh, But I hand-coded that thing in Notepad. Uh, I, I, every keystroke was done by these fingers in notepad 26 years ago and it shows, uh, but the, uh, where was I going with that? I think I was, I was thinking about, um, I totally lost my train of thought. What was I, where was I going
1: with it? I don't remember. It was probably your big break getting it at the, uh, semiconductor conference in 99.
2: Yeah. So I was so I wrote this piece. I was sitting in a parking garage in downtown Madison, I think with somebody and had some time to kill. And the MCI WorldCom merger had just happened. And so I wrote this short essay sitting in the front seat of my car on my first laptop at the time uh, and published it to the website, coded it up, hand coded it and stuck it up on aurorawdc.com and forgot all about it. And about six months later, I got invited to go give a talk at this conference called CI for IT the following spring in San Diego. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. And they must have seen me. I'd started doing some talks about competitive intelligence and its connection with knowledge management and a bunch of other things and anything for a buck, you know, at the time. And so, uh, I got invited out and I went out and I gave this talk. Um, but before I gave the talk, I was sitting in the audience and one of the keynote speakers got up and it was GTE InterNetworking at the time, which later went on to become a bunch of different other companies and eventually get absorbed by one of the big, uh, telcos. But uh, this guy was the head of intelligence at GTE Internet and he said, "I read this great analysis, uh, very, very profound analysis, and incisive, and changed the way I think about telecommunications." Uh, and I'm like, "Ooh, who is that?" And I'm, and he goes, "I believe the speaker is here at the conference. I believe it's Mr. Arik Johansson. Arik, Arik Johansen is Arik <laughs> Johansson. Arik Johansen. And I said, "Uh." you mean Eric Johnson? And he said, Mr. Johnson, forgive me for mispronouncing your name. Uh, I just want to say uh, this whole room should give you a standing ovation for the incisive analysis that you produced on the MCI WorldCom merger. Thank you. And, and I got a standing ovation from because of that guy. And I'm going, I just, you mean that thing I wrote in the parking garage? That got, that changed the way you think about telecommunications industry. And it it was so flabbergasting. I'm like, hey, maybe I'm good at this. And maybe I should like do more of that and get more speaking engagements. And like, this is kind of fun. And I ended up getting a client uh, out of that, uh, a woman named Celeste at National Semiconductor, who thought Derek was very cute a few years later, uh, by the way, and that's all I'll say about that. Uh, But uh, the... The point is they gave me my first shot and it was really my first program development. And I developed their intelligence program as part of their industry analyst affairs group. They got a nice budget. I won't say how much money, but it was my big break, my big break about four years in. And then I just never looked back and I'm like, let's just do, let's do that. Let's do more of that. Derek, come, come on. I'm ready for you. This was right after the, you know, dot-com blow up. And Derek had been in the investment industry at the time. And I think you were kind of, I don't know if you were bored, but I'll let you answer that question about why you abandoned that career in order to cast your lot with your big brother. Sure. Yeah.
0: Go ahead, Derek. Jump right in.
1: Yeah. You know, that—that's a—that's a that's a double-edged question and answer. So it wasn't that I was bored. I just didn't have enough gray hair to have either of the paths that I wanted, either as an investment analyst, I was too young, or a portfolio manager, account manager guy meeting with you know high high net worth individuals. I was simply too young at age what 27 or give or take, you know, in the uh 01 time frame. But the, the bigger reason why we started working together, and I've said this many times and I'll say it probably until the day I die, is that we both experienced having to move forward anyway and despite you know despite uh, our parents passing away and you know as only brothers you know it 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 kind of makes me feel for the the solo children out there you know who have to go through that experience on their own uh 99 february 99 our dad died in september a few days before 911 september of 01 our mom passed away and I've I've said it Many times, I'll say it on this podcast, you know, if one or both had not passed away when they did, one or both would have talked me out of leaving this industry that I seem to love so much, the investment arena, and joining my big brother in this, in this adventure. He had started about eight years prior. Uh, but looking back on that decision, you know, yeah, it hasn't all always been candy canes and, you know, uh, ride on toys. but it, has been always a challenge it's always been um, incredibly gratifying the fact that we're doing it together and that we're seeking to change you know our our version of the story is that we're seeking to change the world make it into a better place you know despite some of the the family circumstances that we had to navigate you know we we call it running into the fog on our own podcast right and the, the fog that we had to navigate you know, literally bearing both of our parents uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s is something that I think can't be understated in its importance as to why we were led uh, to this direction in the first place.
2: Yeah. yeah well said.
0: So as you began, Eric, um, a couple things you said that I was paying attention to as you were just trying to make a buck, you just make a buck and that there was a moment there in that conference where the dream the dream of your future got crystallized or began to get a little bit sharper in focus and it wasn't just about making a buck or it wasn't just about building websites it was you were doing all kinds of different things it's kind of like an exploratory phase maybe yeah and then at that conference you're like huh i'm pretty good at this like and I would guess that there and the years since you've started to see the connection deeper and deeper between your education, which was in history, a history major,
2: right.
0: yep. and why you were so intrigued by the loser.
2: Yeah.
0: And you started to discern that and trying to help people get ahead of losing so that they didn't lose. And that's what competitive intelligence does, right? Yep. You talk to me a lot of times about finding the frailty. Mm-hmm. the frailty in your offer um, as an entrepreneur so that you can mitigate against that so that it won't kill you,
1: right?
2: Right, And, make, and it a strength, make it a potential source of strength.
0: Yeah, and make it, turn it, flip it as strength. And I talk about fear the same way, like instead of just trying to get rid of fear or to avoid fear, let's look at fear and flip it and use it as, a, as fuel, as strength to move forward anyway. And that's the unique piece that I play in the entrepreneurial space. Um, So we, we share that kind of, um, mindset, take something that's a weakness, flip it and use it as a strength. Would you say, uh, or want to say anything more to this question? Uh, I think that's kind of the answer to the question I'm about to ask, but maybe there's more. I, I find that, um, dreamers who are executing on their dream, they're ultimately trying to solve a problem. Hmm. Hmm. And when I think about Aurora WDC, what is the problem that you guys are solving with your dream?
2: It's a great question. And actually, I think it goes back to our bringing you in last year uh, to help really counsel the management team forward into the future. And I don't know if it would have happened without the pandemic, frankly. You know, the pandemic hit in March of 2020. Um, I remember calling Derek a couple weeks into that and saying, you know, this is going to last a while. You know, this is going to be with us for a couple of years, minimum, if we're lucky. And much of what our clients have us working on right now though it has been important to them and is a critical part of their intelligence operations, won't matter. And we got to figure out what will, what part of our portfolio of activities for our clients is going to make a difference to them in March of 2021. Um, And we got to, you know, to paraphrase Gretzky, skate to where that puck is headed. Um, Mm -hmm. So that we are having better ideas than they're having about their business. We have to be more creative. And that, by the way, is what strategic intelligence is about. It's about creatively helping a client who is so in the weeds, they can't see any way out of the marsh and showing them the way out. And then giving them options is a really, really important part of what's emerged really in the last, I'll say the last decade. and. You know for me, I was CEO for the first fifteen years and in two thousand nine I uh, realized Derek was ready you know to take the reins and I was ready to go do something different, not leave the company but take the company into territory we couldn't go into because it was nobody's job to go adventure there um and frankly, I was also kind of bored uh being CEO <laughs> and so that that you know Derek being superior at it from a skill set standpoint was very convenient uh, that I was able to pass the baton like that. And then for the next couple of years, I sort of wandered on the mountaintop trying to figure out where not only competitive intelligence was going, but where we ought to go, you know, in contrast to that. And I think the last decade has been really all about that. And as I've continued to, mostly in my own brain, but in the last few years with collaborators uh, begin to flesh out a new system uh, for how losers turn the tables around on losing. And that's a really exciting thing for me. And by the way, I'll say this is God's revelation. This is a this is a prophecy. There's no other way to describe it. You guys will be familiar with the covalent legume diagram that I drew for the very first time in early April of 2020. And it was really the vision for the reorganization of the company, our service portfolio, and then something that we're calling stakeholder reconnaissance communities, of which we're building one called Neighboring Life with You. Uh, And the notion of stakeholder reconnaissance communities as the place where competitive intelligence becomes relevant again. Relevant in terms of mistake avoidance, and that is what losers never figure out. Losers never figure out what their frailties are, and they end up making very, very predictable mistakes. And it's just that nobody's really reduced to practice and articulated what that system looks like. In fact, three years ago, I was just recollecting that there was a professor at St. Norbert uh, College in De Pere, Green Bay, uh, named Jamie Lynch. And Jamie, as I was talking with him about this Jamie's the head of their research institute. And I described the angles of attack system that later became known as superiority analysis. And Jamie said, well, this is great, you know, but Eric, I'm sorry to tell you that this is nothing new. Uh, This is the way it's happened for generations. You just found the language to describe it to other people. And after I got over the deep wound to my ego, uh, I was able to then say, you know, there's Something lovely about that. That's a gift in and of itself, to be able to give language to a phenomenon from human anthropology that is probably thousands of years old, and to describe what humans have done for thousands of years in ways that are actionable, that people can actually take disciplined choice-making around. And choice is about sacrifice. It's, not, it's, a, it's about selection, but it's about what you give up in order to make those selections.
0: So the problem you solve is mistake avoidance. The other problem I heard in that, that you solve is putting into context and into words, um, a concept that many of you, if you've listened to Eric just now, you're probably like, whoa, whoa, there's so many things he just said there. Let's, can we can we rewind and talk about superiority analysis? and. Sure. You know, angles of attack and all these things that you just you just flip out. And it was like, what's that? Well, right. you you've created language or words or metaphors that help people grasp what's real and put it into action. Yeah. That's the one piece that you guys do better than anybody else in the compel- competitive intelligence industry is you help people, businesses, entrepreneurs. Take action on their insights, not just have the insights and go, oh, yeah, but actually then make the change that needs to be made or make the addition that needs to be added to avoid the mistakes.
2: Yes, I'll own that compliment. Thank you. That is what we do. And in fact, my motto for 2021, uh, and I think I discovered it while I was with you guys in one of our Friday morning confabs is no action, no traction. Uh, And my motto for 2020, by the way, was double booked in 15 minute increments, um, which is about what life in 2020 was about. And that was not going to work for me anymore. So no action, no traction is, I, I encounter that all day, every day. I'm like, well, all right, let's do it. And people are like, well, wait, I got to get permission from this person. And then we got to schedule the meeting and we got to get this other stuff. And I'm like, no, don't you understand? Time is the only scarce resource. You can go raise more money. You can go get people to help you. You can go get another job. But if you run out of time, that's on you. That's on oh, you. That's
0: interesting. Time is the scarce resource. Fear is the plentiful resource.
2: In fact, it's the only renewable resource. It's the only renewable
0: resource that humans have is fear.
2: The only infinitely What's, renewable resource. Love
0: that's it. Re- and so I use that in the dream accelerator and yep. other places, but, um, yeah, you don't take action now. Where are you going to be a year from now? Where are you going to a you even have a year?
2: It's literally a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, and what difference does it make? What difference does your insight really make? If you don't do anything with it, you would, you would have been happier, you know, watching the Kardashians and, you know, having a fifth beer and, mm. you know, falling asleep on the couch. Yeah, Uh, that's the alternative, by the way. And unfortunately, I think that lifestyle is what inevitably most Americans find meaningful, you know, today. Mm. And I think that's my big mission. My big mission is to show them that God has bigger plans for them. God has bigger plans for every one of us. And, And it's up to us whether we seek out those plans, notice them when they're found, act on them respond the way God's leading us to, and then when the results happen, celebrate it with those around us. And I learned that from you, Jeff. That's the sequence of missionary discipline that is the the true north in my life. And it's
0: it's available. That rhythm is available to any person. It's It's not available just to church people or to professional ministry people. It's available to every entrepreneur, every business owner, every person is trying to take action, you know, and uh, that's beautiful. So um, Derek, tell me when the invitation came for you to jump on board uh, with Eric and to leave behind uh, basically your training, your experience with investment stuff um, and jump into this I would guess it's pretty, at that point, it was still pretty much unknown what the heck you were doing as a company <laughs> at some level, just like, okay, what is competitive intelligence? What are we doing? You jumped in and said, yes. Tell me, tell me. Um, you can tell me why you said yes, you've already alluded to that a little bit, but what kind of fear or reservation or hesitancy did you have in that moment? And why did you pull the trigger anyway?
1: Yep. Well, you know, back in those days, I was single, single gets. I was working my way through grad school um, two nights a week for three years. And I was about almost midway uh, of that program in March of 03, almost exactly midpoint um, at the UW here in Madison. Um, you know, going to school at night, trying to better myself, you know, get that MBA, which I finally got done you know, later, uh, summer of '04, but when Eric and I started really seriously talking about what that could look like, I didn't know, you know I still joke about it and I'm not even sure that, you know, I've, I've I imagine I've learned some things about competitive intelligence in 18 years, but I, I still think that I've got so much more to learn. And back then I didn't know Jack or squat about this field. <laughs> and, and so I say, so sure, you know, but, single single gets let's do this uh we'll we'll at least never be able to say wish we would have and you know look back it may not work out and we had some times eric in those early couple of years where we got on each other's nerves and we hadn't yet had the experience of how to deal with it how to give each other a little space we were working from different offices literally in different cities spaced out two and a half hours You up in chippewa falls and down here in madison still
2: Yep,
1: and. uh You know, we travel and and all. In fact, uh, one of the best Joe Bros stories of all times, I joined March 1st of 03, and Eric says, let's go to Skip. Let's Skip It's the Society of Competitive Intelligence Professionals. It's known a little bit differently these days. Still those four letters put together. When is that conference? Uh, Next week. Uh, Okay. What are we going to do there? Well, we're going to meet a bunch of people, and we're going to try to sell our stuff, and and uh, sell our goods and services and life will be good. You know, we'll go on a trip together. Okay, where is it? Anaheim, California. Well, uh, do you have anything for the booth yet? Like the, the booth assets, you know, pop up banners or a backdrop, nope. Um, we, got all we,
2: week, we got all week to get that together.
1: <laughs> yeah, who needs lead time for that stuff, right? And so <laughs> we, get, we get our booth, I'll never forget it for a lot of reasons. Number one, I was—I felt like I was living in the shadow of my brother who had emerged in this space of competitive intelligence at that point in 03. So I'm going around little cocktail receptions, essentially like I'm pulling on Eric's coattail, like, can I I get in on this conversation? He's talking, chattering up everybody and anybody that was anybody in that field at that time. You know, he's becoming really well known. I was obviously super proud of him. I didn't still didn't know anything about that field. But I show up and and the keynote of that conference was one of my like I was stunned. Uh, it was Bill Walsh, the late um Bill sure. Walsh, the San Francisco 49ers head coach who made famous this West Coast offense that's now been installed in darn near every um, you know, big offensive uh Scheme book playbook that uh, the NFL teams run right. He's got a coaching tree that is just incomparable to anything else that we've ever seen. And he he goes and he talks about contingency planning. And I I still remember, you know, him talking about getting his team ready to go to Soldier Field in November or December. And you never really know what you're going to get. You know, are you going to get a really sloppy grass field? You know, that might be rain or even snow soaked. Or are you going to get a sunny Yet crisp late fall day, and you know you, you're going to bring different cleats for your players based upon what those conditions might be, and you know that for businesses these days is still I think really sound advice. You know you got to have contingencies in place to weather things like a global pandemic or mm-hmm. a, uh, a microchip shortage that's going on globally. You know and how you cope with that. You know, any number of other things, uh, HR situation or a PR situation. Look at what Peloton's going through just late yesterday. All, every single one of their treadmills is getting recalled, what that's going to mean for a company like that. The 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 thing that I love about our space is that we we have the opportunity to really deliver impact if we partner with you know clients and our, our liaisons at those client organizations who understand what level of humility they need to bring into the equation in order to be able to take that that level of insight and then turn it into action. And we've obviously, Eric, we've known of many companies over the years that just frankly don't have the level of humility required to do that. And Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, we come from a, a line of entrepreneurs ourselves. You know, our mom was a beautician for 50 plus years. She literally cut hair until she was 70, 71 years old. And, you know, she taught us the value of hard work and the value of a dollar. Um, She also wasn't afraid to get after us. Uh, And You know, nobody was going to talk to her husband a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the other story about uh, two, two guys, six, three, six, four from Northern Wisconsin. She, she, she let everybody know. You know where we all stood in that pecking order, and her husband was cherished, uh, our our dear dear old dad. So, you know, when I think about what's next, you know, moving forward, you know, in the face of all sorts of uncertainties that we might have, even even here, you know, the opportunity to partner with great companies who have that dose of humility in order to take the insights and move it to action and actually do something with the advice that we give them, the recommendations we give them is. Something that really moves me, and one big reason why I'm pretty focused right now on how we how we help the small, to medium-sized businesses, and uh, allow them to have access to, to data that I think at times is believed to be only for the large companies, you know, the mm-hmm. ones that have huge, you know, four, five, six-figure budgets to support you know a corporate library or something. That's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense, and you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about at the moment is bringing a, a capability to these small to medium-sized businesses that can truly make a difference. And, you know, I think that a lot of that goes back to our, our roots. Our dad said something, I wrote something down that sort of pairs with it. Our, our dad's favorite saying, he, he was one of these guys who I think died too young before he really caught his big break. And Eric, I've heard you say that before. Yep. You know, he died, three days before he turned 66. And, you know, he was in a, he was dabbling in all sorts of things after a major heart attack, sort of took him out of a full-time job when he was 53. I was what, to 90, 1985. I was 11. You were 15. I mean, we watched our dad have major, major health complications and our mom became really the only breadwinner. And our dad, you know, was there for us. Obviously we got, You know about, 13, 14 bonus years, as I like to say, with him, which is a true blessing. But he would always tell us, he's like, nothing happens until somebody sells something to someone. And I'm, I'm actually listening to an audio book right now. It's a little bit old, 2013. Daniel Pink came out with this book, "To Sell as Human: The Surprising Truth About Moving Others," Hmm. and it's a, it's a really fascinating book, on the standpoint of. He would he would tell you, we're all in the moving business. And I love that this podcast is called Move Forward Anyway. If we're all in the moving business, we're all in the business of moving someone from point A to point B. And whether that's a fear situation or a business impact situation or an educational concern or trying to get them connected to, to closer to God or whatever it might be. If we think about things in way of, we're in the moving business as people. I don't know. I think that's a pretty cool way to think about it.
2: Yeah.
0: I love that. As you're talking, I, I know you guys really well. Um, and I know that you have baked into your DNA an entrepreneurial spirit and drive. So I know one of the reasons that you accepted the invitation from Eric was because you have an entrepreneurial drive and you love to take risk and you love new things. And the reason Eric can hand it off to you, CEO and go and, and do R and D work and try to discover what's new or what's next is because he's, he's driven by experiencing the new thing and discovering the new thing. What would you say to people who have a dream? They have an idea they can't let it go or it can't let go of them is a better way to say it, but they don't have, they are risk averse. Mm. They're not so ready to take a risk like you guys are. What would you say to them about their dream and about them taking action on it?
2: Well, I'll just say that I think, you know, the, the, the planning work that we did last fall, fall of 2020, where we, extracted our why as outfitting people for the path ahead and championing their cause. That's a really important identity element for what it is we've been doing up until this point. I would say it's right down at the person-to-person level. It's it's what Derek did for me. It's what I did for Derek. Derek didn't tell you he lost his luggage on, on the way to Anaheim and had to spend that conference in his uh, cargo shorts, as I recall. Uh, but First day. And, the first day of that conference. First day, that's right. And then later, a couple months later, uh, my wife Tina had a complication with her cesarean and we uh, took me out. And I called Derek that day that I took her back to the hospital after our new baby was born, Liam, who's about to go to Concordia, by the way, which wouldn't have happened if you hadn't had a Dream Accelerator Concordia two years ago. And then I met Mike Lippman, the head of the uh, computer science department, and God arranged for Liam to get in there. And now Liam's going to go do the Master Scholars Program in computer science at Concordia. So thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but th- a couple months after Skip, uh, Tina had a major complication. I was in a home care situation for the next eight months. And I called Derek the day we went back to the hospital. I said, Listen, I'm taking my hands off the wheel and try not to go out of business while I'm gone. I'll see you when I see you. You're in charge. That was 2003. That was July of 2003. And I'm not sure how that felt to Derek, but it felt to me like, priorities. God has produced this set of circumstances. He has given me Derek. I can trust Derek with the thing that would distract me from this set of circumstances. Derek, this one's yours. I'm going this way and see you when I see you. That's kind of what we did last a year ago now in the pandemic hit. You know, I hope to see you again in a year or two, like in person. Uh, not on a Zoom call, uh, which we haven't seen each other in person in over 14 months, uh, by the way, and that's that's tough, you know, that uh, that distance is hard to close, and um, and especially for you know, we had a couple months before the lockdown hit, Derek threw me the 50th birthday party to end all 50th birthday parties in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, hired The band that uh, our chief research officer, John Thompson, uh, is lead guitar player in. And I believe the band had broken up. So you literally got the band back together to play my birthday party. And I wish everybody could have a birthday party like that at some point in their life. And I'll never I'll never be able to thank you enough, Derek, for that gift. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we all got sick and we all thought it was COVID uh, a few weeks later, but uh, it probably wasn't. Uh, The point being, we are used to having this is a family, not a corporation. This is a family where everybody who joins the family is very specifically selected. Hmm. They are chosen. They are adopted. They are adopted into the brotherhood and sisterhood of the Joe bros. And that includes you, Jeff, frankly. Um, So it is a, we forsake all others Hmm. uh, in order to bring the one, you know, that we have the opportunity to bring and that we've been given the resources to bring. We can't bring them all. So as yeah, I, I
0: listen, so as I listen to this history and the story, the person that is um, not, the person that is risk averse, it would be really as I listen to you, I pull out a couple things. One is, it's very important to understand your why, mm-hmm. and also to think about the benefits that would come in you taking that risk step. And you just described a whole bunch of benefits like family, like um companionship on the road, like blessing the people that you're who with your why. You mm-hmm. know, and, and your what. Um helping people uh move forward. So how does your dream, I'd ask my listeners, how will your dream help people and If you don't do it, then who will?
2: And I'll add to that. For me, the fear is not the fear of failing or the fear of succeeding. I think that stands in people's way a lot. It's Mm -hmm. the fear that I'll end up here 20 years from now saying, doggone it, I should have tried that when I had the chance. And Mm -hmm. I was too afraid. There wasn't certainty enough for me to be comfortable with the circumstances that I was confronting and now I missed it. I can't get that time back. And I think that's really what Derek did in 2003. I'm single. Now's the time. I don't want to be here 20 years from now saying if only I had tried then. And, you know, now we have this time that's happened. And You know, I'll, I'll, you guys are familiar with me saying God created time so that everything wouldn't happen all at once uh, for us. And it allows us to experience events in sequence through our lives in a very intentional way. And, and the fear of being confronted with an opportunity, for me, the only fear is not to grab it. it, is here I am, here I'm being given this thing. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I think it's up to me whether I'm too afraid to, I'm too afraid of that not working out like I think it will. Well, guess what? It's not going to work out the way you think it will. It never does. It never works out the way you think it does. It always works out the way God intended it for mm-hmm. it. And whether you have a deep faith like that or or you are not in those circumstances, the one promise I'll make to those who who don't have that faith is, your plan's never going to work out like you want it to. Sorry. Figure it out. Figure it out yeah, yeah, and move
1: forward anyway. Yeah. Right. I would. Yeah. I would just add, Jeff. You know, if I could, the uh, question you ask, I I consider myself a calculated risk seeker. That's different than being a calculated risk taker, by the way. If you take calculated risk, I I see that as a passive, I'll take it if it's thrown at me. If you're a calculated risk seeker, that's totally different. That's an active, I'm going to go seek it out, but I want to know the upside and the downside in that process. And I'm a numbers guy. Obviously, talk about me coming here from, you know, the field of investments. And I still, you know, I I dabble in the stock market in ways I know Eric doesn't. And that, that's an appreciation for our differences. He's
2: a creative surprised. guy. You might be hey. surprised because my my Namibian uranium mine is up uh, from a little over ten cents a share to almost fifteen cents a share in the last three weeks. And I bought 10,000 shares because it wasn't that much money. Uh, so anyway,
1: you might be surprised, Derek. We haven't talked. So- that I'm glad to hear it because, uh, you know, the opportunity is out there, I believe, if you make good choices. But to your listeners, Jeff, your, your question was, how do you get somebody to to move forward with their dream if they're risk averse? Well, you got to sit down and evaluate your circumstances. You got to say, well, I've got a spouse. I got a treat my situation a little differently. If I've got a spouse and children that I'm responsible to, to support. I got to take it a, yet another step this direction. Mm-hmm. And you know it may mean in the interim while you're getting that dream accelerated and put together that you got to work a different full-time job and mm-hmm. you know, your spouse and your children have to understand or pitch in. And that becomes a nights and weekends dream for a year or two or three or even longer. We've all known people that have done that and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And I think most of the time it's a matter of mindset. You know, how, how long is my mindset going to stick with this? There's an old, there's an old Tim McGraw song that I love. It's called how bad do you want it? Mm. And I, you know, that's, that song is 12 to 15 years anyway old at this point. But, yeah, I used to listen to it when I'd go on a long training run before these, like the Chicago Marathon I did in 04, um, because it, I think it's pretty poignant. How bad do you want it? Do you, are you willing to sacrifice all sorts of stuff, you know, whether it be time with your family or your weekend or, you know, even other, other things, time with friends and hanging out in order to make that dream come true? Yeah. You, you probably have a pretty good chance of, of succeeding. Uh, are you willing to, you know, if you're in the, the field of, um, you know, coaching, uh, on the basis of diet, nutrition, physical exercise, or otherwise, how, how bad do you want it? How, how much are you willing to sacrifice from a, a food diet exercise regimen point of view in order to have yourself portrayed in the way to be, you know, a, a legit coach in that game? Um, you know, that, that's, that's an example. I work on trying to stay focused with my weight every single day. Uh, I'm actually on day 31 of tracking it every day. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's something really psychological, at least for me, when I know in the morning, I got to write that number in to a spreadsheet and it's going to input to this chart. And I'm going to look at that thing every single day. There's a, there's a different level of accountability than if you just simply step on the scale. And I think the same is true, whether it's, Hey, you know, I'm, Working this job, I may not love it, but it's stable, feels stable, but it's not my dream. Well, how do you how do you still do that as long as you need to, while also simultaneously working on what's going to help you feel like you're changing the world
2: and where you're getting energy from? I think that's the thing that's intimidating for a lot of people to start. Is man, I'm tired at the end of the day. I'm tired on Fridays. I don't want to work on the weekend on my dream. Well, maybe that's because your current workflow is sucking you dry and you need something that fills you back up again. And are you surprised that you're drained, you know, by Friday afternoon or five o'clock uh, and that you don't have anything to give? Fine. That's, I think, part of the dream discovery, you know, and, and I'll just mention, Jeff. Had it not been for the very first superiority analysis that we did, which was on you and the Dream Accelerator itself, we wouldn't have done the other 60. We've done about 60 of them now. And I can tell you with a very high degree of confidence that it works, but that there is a way to take the frailties. And I'll just also comment that God gave me a very dark gift and that dark gift was knowing where to punch you to put you out of the game. And I try and use it for good. The only way to use that for good, and this is part of what it means to be discipled, is to discover why God blessed you with something so dark. That I know why God gave me that gift. God gave me that gift so I can identify it and then recalibrate it so that it gets stronger under stress. It becomes a source of anti-fragility. And, and when people push you in that spot, that soft underbelly, you become stronger. And you can do that with anything. You can do it with any business, any product, any industry. Yeah. It, can, it is very, very versatile. And I know why God wanted me for that work now and i i wish everybody could discover that everybody that is my one prayer is that everybody who hears this podcast will discover what god made them for
0: yeah yeah and then and then remove remove the frailties of that so that they can succeed yep right because i i say this often your dream must live well in order for the dream to live it's got to survive and it's got to survive the darkness and the frailties that are inevitably going to pop up for it to survive. And so we talk about, we exist or neighboring life or whatever SRC is going to launch in the next, uh, two to five years. Um, we want those to succeed because they're making a difference in the world. Right. Um, and that's the thing with risk for me, if I could just circle back and give my own answer to my own question.
2: Yeah.
0: One of the things I would say is we spend too much, we spend too much time thinking about the risks in going for it and not enough thinking about the other side of the coin, the risk in not going for it. Yeah. So I like to ask people what, and that's usually the first time they've ever been asked. They only think about the risk in going for it. Well, I might lose this or I might fail or, Um, My wife might not like it. I tell you, I talked to wife or husband, by the matter, talked to one partner and they haven't even shared their dream with their spouse that they've been carrying around in their bodies for five years because they're afraid they're going to be rejected. Well, there's a risk in not sharing it. You're holding back something from your partner. You're withholding something from them. That's a part of you. That's not good. That's not going to go well over the long term. So what is the risk in not going for it? And the number one answer I get in the Dream Accelerator is deep, deep regret. I'm going to get to the end of my life. and I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have tried. I wish I would have given that a shot. Right. Um, and that's a heavy burden to bear. And you mentioned that earlier, Derek. Like, okay, I didn't want to get to the end of my life and say, well, what, would it, what if we would have tried the Joe Bros? And the other thing I'll say is don't be so hooked on the results of following yeah. your dream yeah. that you miss the opportunity to learn and grow as you pursue it. So instead of looking at results and making sure you got everything nailed down, learn how to experiment. Learn how to embrace experimentation, because that's where, the, that's where the fun is. That's where the adventure is. And you guys know this phrase. I use it a lot in the Dream Accelerator. You use it as well, the MVP. Let's just discover your MVP and start experimenting. What's MVP? Minimally viable product. Get it and get it out there and test it and learn from it, right? So yeah. you can do that and keep your security right now. It's called a side hustle. And just start doing some experiments with it. So that's what I would say in terms of those who are risk averse. Usually you're risk averse because you want to be sure it's going to turn out okay. You're never going to be sure it's going to be okay. In
2: 1980, Rush, uh, the band, uh, published a song called Free Will. Uh, There's a line in that song. You can choose a ready guide in some celestial voice. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Mm-hmm. And I share that a lot uh, with people because it exemplifies what you said. You know, if you do nothing, you're still sacrificing. Yeah. And that's the definition of choice, by the way. Yeah. Choice yeah. is not just selection, yeah. it's forsaking all other options for the selection, it's sacrifice. And if you don't make the choice, to move forward anyway that is in itself a sacrifice of the potential future i i've said with srcs with you guys in the future i imagine srcs exist uh, now that's thinking of the future as a fourth dimension of reality in the future these things exist the reason it's so hard for us to build these is we're literally clawing them out of the future mm-hmm. into the present do you think that's going to be easy? (laughs) Does that sound like an easy? Is clawing reality from the future an easy thing to imagine doing? No. Boy, actually, I get kind of energized thinking about that. I'm trying to think of, well, what exists in the future right next that I need to claw into the present? And, you know, that, that really, really going back to 1995 and, you know, thinking about getting started doing this thing that we call Aurora Worldwide Development Corporation today, which was by the way, the name was big enough to be anything because I didn't know what it was gonna be. (laughs) Like, I just need a name. I need a name that gives me versatile, versatility and latitude because I don't know what's gonna stick. I'm gonna start doing this and then a little bit of that, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and eventually something will stick. And as long as I'm making enough money to keep my new wife fed and in grad school where she was at the time and you know when when it's time to start a family i've got enough money to feed and clothe and house my family then that's entertainment you know the entertainment is discovering you know what is what is next and what what exists in the future that i need to rip into the present reality yeah. and man there's nothing better than that there really is no there's no hobby or drug or Entertainment that you can conceive of that is more fun than that. Yeah. What we are as humans, it's what we're made for.
0: So, Derek, let me uh, I'll start bringing this to a close here. Um, I want to ask you so, we actually started working together um, last September, August ish. And um, we have been on this journey. Uh, together the three of us, you know, working with your team, but then also on Friday mornings working and just building, reconnecting the Joe Bros. And during the pandemic and a little bit before the pandemic, there was there's kind of a gradual kind of drifting apart a little bit. And you're almost working on two different businesses in reality. And you recognize a need to and we use the word picture, play catch. And you asked me to come help you guys learn how to play catch again. And for those of you who are listening, think of these two guys, these two young boys in Chetek, Wisconsin, um, probably annoying the crap out of each other most days but occasionally actually playing with each other, wrestling with each other, doing what brothers do. I wouldn't know what that's like because I have sisters. Um, But I'd like you to just talk a little bit, Derek, and then I'll let Eric say his piece too. What has it been like for you to reconnect? um, In this work, in this entrepreneurial work, what has it been like for you to reconnect with your brother?
1: Yeah. Well, this may not be the answer you're looking for. But I'm going to say to to reconnect without physical connection to me is not necessarily yet a reconnect.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: yeah. There will be a true reconnect the day when there can be a physical reconnect.
0: Yep.
1: That, that's number 1. Well said. And whenever that happens, you know, I'm I'm probably a little more out there than Eric's able to be at the moment. So mm-hmm. You know, it's a
0: reality. A lot of our families are facing, by the way. So you know what? Thank you for saying that.
1: No, no judgment, and everybody's going to make that choice. I'm, I'm going on my first business trip in fifteen months, week after next, and I am beyond excited. Yeah, I've got three in-person business meetings, maybe a fourth, and I, I just can't even wait. And part of that is my social animal is going to be fed again, but the. You know the reconnect. (laughs) The other thing I'll say for our listeners on your podcast, Jeff, and this may not be entirely politically uh, or even language correct, but we've talked about this. Um, Had we not done the the move forward anyway, reconnect with the Joe Bros in August, September, and started that process, I've said, you know that. I could have seen a scenario where Derek goes and gets some bullshit job um, because there's not enough interaction physical or otherwise between the two Johnson brothers that were so used to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't want that. Eric didn't want that for us, Um, but the pandemic, you know, causes weird things. And, you know, I'm grateful that this ability to have you coach us allowed us to refocus on what really matters, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't know that Eric and I even to this day necessarily see, you know, exactly the same terrain that that we have to navigate here as an independent, committed to um, no outside investment interests, sort of uh, small, twenty-plus person firm. Um, mm-hmm that wants to remain all those things, the terrain that we navigate is gonna be seen by different people in different ways. I still have viewpoints that you know we have to abide by while we're seeking to pull this future in. Yeah. We have certain financial realities that I have to continue to, to focus well, on and cope it's with. It's almost
0: that, like you're doing a side hustle in the midst of your own business as you transition. Right, right,
1: it's and that's that's part of pivoting, really not. Right? It's really not that different than summer of two thousand three. Eric saying, you know, I got to go help my wife. My my wife needs me. Um, our future for the firm needs Eric to be creative enough to, to go and do this. At my point in my my career, I also know that I need to start getting creative enough to go out and make some kind of futuristic things happen while simultaneously doing. You know, keeping the hands squarely on the wheel to make sure that that, that future is and remains a reality for us. But you know, bring it, having you come in to, to coach us—we've said it. There's very few people in this world that we both would have trusted enough to have that—you know—reunification. Um, I wrote on the uh, on my weekly LinkedIn post yesterday about the SpaceX resilience, nicknamed resilience. Uh, capsule touching down the gulf of mexico this past weekend and in some ways i i see that as sort of what's happening here the 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 resilience is coming back together and you know we won't get all the things right no one ever does but you know with the right mindset love and appreciation for one another uh the playing catch becomes easy again and i think when we got it started we said it uh, really well we want we wanted to become one another's biggest fans yeah. once again mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, that's where i'll leave it turn it to you eric you know the chance mm-hmm. to be each other's biggest fans even if we don't necessarily agree with every viewpoint or stance or position that the other one has that's okay uh, but we're still going to cheer each other on
2: awesome that's well said well, I'll just say that as you were talking, Derek, I was reminded, I think it was Wrigley who said in a very chauvinistic way, where, where two men agree, one is unnecessary. Um, and I think the bottom line of that is it, there is one reality. There is one truth. And there is our perspective on that reality. And I see reality from a different angle than Derek does. Uh, in fact, this has become really front and center uh, with a, a graphic uh, it's a geomet- three three dimensional geographic uh, or three three dimensional geometric object known in geometry as a chisel tip and from one side lateral view it looks like a parallelogram a rect or excuse me a square you know square you move ninety degrees to the side and you've removed two hooves of that cube and it looks like a triangle and then you're like wow it's it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wedge shape. And then you move 90 degrees from the bottom and you see that it's round. It's a rod. And you're like, I didn't see that coming. Um, and it's all of those things. It's a square. It's a triangle. It's a circle. And the shadow that it casts is different perspectives on the same reality. And as a philosopher, I think of that as why we need diversity in our teams. You know, we need people who see the same reality from different points of view and can help you, me in this case, see the same reality differently. And it's not that I'm living in the future. I'm seeing the reality of today that the same reality that Derek's seeing, I'm just seeing a slightly different perspective on that same reality. And the implications that I'm seeing are, sometimes radically different than what Derek's seeing, And I think what happened when we locked down in March of 2020, um, that forced much of um, the conversation that Derek and I were having about where to take the company to the sidelines because I got sucked into a whole bunch of stuff that I proposed very nonchalantly to partners that we never had worked with before and lo and behold, they said, well, how do we get started? And I just shared on the company uh, Skype thread today the results of that exploration. Uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin won, I can't remember what the name of the award was, but they won a very coveted award because of the work that we did with them. Had we not done that work with them, would it have happened anyway? Maybe, uh, but it wouldn't have happened the way that it did. I promise you that. And the results, of our experimentation, now I'll say this, the risk of not experimenting is that that reality never happens. Yeah. That future it. doesn't happen. That's it. And I can't think of anything more terrifying than the future reality that is right now, whatever it is, May 6th, 2021, the reality of May 6th, 2021, 14 months ago, Scares the crap out of me that this might not have happened. I'm absolutely terrified that today
0: yeah. wouldn't Thank have
2: happened that, the way it did.
0: That perspective, that vision looking back is huge, right?
2: And there's, you know, I think to the to the point that Derek was making there, that's the perspective that I have. And then Derek has this risk-seeking, people-loving, you know, reality. Derek can't wait to go on the road for a business trip and see three or four different clients. I I am not driven by that same set of motivation. It's got to happen. Derek loves doing it. Derek has unique gifts. In order to be able to enable him to do that, circumstances are right for that. Yeah. Is it for me yet? Not quite. <laughs> you know, so, soon enough it will be. Um, but that's okay. That's why God's given us each other. Yeah. That's why. That's why I don't have to do this alone. And I'll tell you what.
0: There's the first, fun in it, right?
2: Those first, first years, those first few years. Those first few years are pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's Derek, just for me to you, that's what I'm most thankful for is I get to do this with you yeah, right and, on. and everybody yeah. else that God's assembled. So around. you guys
0: who are listening here, um, this is a great opportunity for you to think about your dream. Maybe you've uh, held it close to the vest. Maybe you um, have been bearing the weight of it without community or without people. And I would just encourage you as soon as you can, now it's gotta be the right people, right? Because there are dream crushers out there that if you share it too soon, they'll crush it. But if you can find the right invested partners to be with you in it and play catch like, like the Joe Bros have been doing and are doing, um, it's way more fun doing it together than it is alone. Um, okay. So thanks for showing that to us guys. Um, it's, it's just incru- I wanna close and give you an opportunity <clears throat> to speak a move forward anyway word of encouragement mm-hmm. to our listener directly. I want you to speak directly to the listener who's sitting there going, "Okay, wow, maybe I should take this step." I'm a little hesitant, but what would you say to them in closing? I'll go with uh, Eric first, and let Derek have the last
2: word. I think of it in my own terms every day. Is if not you, who? Hmm. And if not now, when?
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's good. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, I'm not
1: sure I have anything that eloquent uh, to say. I would just say, if you look at yourself five years from now and you imagine yourself thinking back on this question, are you going to be happy with yourself if you didn't try? Um yeah. Will it always be one of those things that you wondered about? I actually have a regret that when 9-11 occurred that I didn't sign up and go serve in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, tw- almost 20 years later, there, there's less I can do about that. Someday I'll find, maybe it's in retirement, I'll, I'll volunteer at the local National Guard you know, house and help the men and women there somehow. But Someday I'll figure out how to get right with that. But if I could go, I'll go back and do it again. I'd have joined up the minute 9-11 happened.
0: Wow. Great questions. Great word, Eric. Thank you so much, brothers, um, for investing this time. You are such busy people. I know acutely how true that is.
2: This and is you would fun. Spend,
0: you would spend this amount of time with me talking about this with my audience. Thank you for that. Um, how can they, the listener, if they wanted to learn more about what you're doing, learn more about uh, what they can learn from you? How can they get a hold of you,
1: Derek? Derek, I, I I would just like to make a plug for our own podcast where we invite some some other guests, some friends, some new
0: great uh, podcast new faces.
1: We've had Jeff on there. Um, you know, we're up to we've recorded about twelve of them now, and. I have a great uh, release schedule coming up, but uh, go out there and search on any of your favorite podcast platforms for running into the fog and you'll have an opportunity to listen uh, pretty regularly to the Joe bros. What yeah, other ways can they awesome connect with us podcast, there? by the way. Thank, Thank you.
0: Buddy,
2: I'll, you plug, yeah. I'll plug neighboring life and another project called we exist. Uh, we exist is the brainchild of this really lovely woman, Jasmine Johnson from Milwaukee, who um, called me last June um, after she heard that we were doing online events, and she just had one that blew, kind of blew up in her face, and and asked, you know, could you help me with this? And uh, I was about two weeks after the George George Floyd killing, and um, I was really verklempt about. It. I know you were too, Jeff, and that I had been in prayer asking for direction about it, and the day before, and when the phone rang and it was Jasmine, I said. I don't know where you stand with God, lady, but you are answered prayer. And then she said, hallelujah. And we had a big talk about Jesus. And um, I said, whatever you need, we'll be there for you. And we won't charge you. Don't tell my brother. (laughs) that We we aren't going to charge you for this yet. Uh, We'll figure out something later. And then we did. And, you know, the cool thing about that relationship, just sort of jumping in with both feet, knowing that this thing was brought to you, that the current reality is divinely provisioned, then all right, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna lead with my heart and figure out what's next and not worry about the consequences because there's faith. That's what faith is for. Mm -hmm. Faith is so you don't have to worry about the consequences. You're gonna lead with your heart. You're gonna follow that direction. And Jasmine, I think is one of the relationships that I'm most proud of coming out of the pandemic um, and how that, I've been a witness. And the, the privilege to be a witness and an ally to sp- her specific project is to close the wealth gap among professionals of color, specifically in Milwaukee, starting in Milwaukee, but then going nationwide, yeah. and really dispel the myth of black talent, black and brown talent, that it's not there. Um, having been threaded into that, that mission, man, is it, is it cool. And then neighboring life that you're doing, and frankly, Derek's Recon G2 corporate stakeholder reconnaissance community product Um, that those are all the pathways that I feel I've been given as gifts to explore my own gifts and then to create a reality that wouldn't have existed without me. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, what God's doing in the lives of your dreamers, Jeff, is they're being invited to explore a reality that can't happen without them. So they better get on it. They better forward get forward anyway.
0: That's it. Because their dream must live. Guys, thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate you both. And until next time, uh, guys, uh, have a have a wonderful day. Pulling your future into the present.
2: <laughs> and this you get to so be fun. part of it. Love you, Jeff. Love you, Derek. Bye. Love Thanks, boys. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, fellow dreamer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, jeffmeyer.org, for all of the show notes and links. And when you're ready to move from overthinking about your dream to actually taking action on it, consider joining the Dream Accelerator community. Our clients are getting crystal clear on their dream with our Dream Generator Vivid Description five-step process. They're discovering the truth about fear and how to use it as fuel to take courageous steps in the right direction. And most importantly, they are walking a clear path forward because they have made an investment in themselves to confidently realize their dreams. The results are so inspiring. Having coaching and companions on the dream journey is crucial. Remember, fear will come. Fear will stay. Move forward anyway.